Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing Cinema Podcast. It's August 2nd. That means it's spooky season officially has started. Summer is still here in Texas, though, because it is 115 degrees every day, and the sun is shining. But for our movie today, there's going to be lots of water. I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the two hosts with the most... The two people who I like to sail on a ship with, who I like to swim really fast underwater with, and who I'm just a generally awesome gangster to men and women, Preston and Dan. How are you guys? Gatorade's better. (laughs) Dan, how are you? Good. I got my pack of cigarettes and my filtered urine. I am ready for this podcast. You are pressing. You're doing good. Yeah, I got that warm drip of Costner's finest. Costner's finest. Kevin Costner. Do y'all know what we're saying? Do you know what we're talking about today? You would be correct in guessing that it is the 1995 film Waterworld. This movie was released July 28th. 1995 just basically 1995 what is that um is that 20 20 i don't know how long ago is that it's not too long ago almost the same week i can't believe that 28 yeah 28 years ago um this movie was directed by a guy named kevin reynolds who is a texas native who went to baylor universities from san antonio he uh wrote red dawn He wrote and directed Fandango. He directed The Beast. He directed Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, After Waterworld, he did 187 with Sam Jackson. He did The Count of Monte Cristo, Tristan is Sold, and Risen. And then most recently, The Hatfields and McCoys with Kevin Costner. But we'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, Also, this movie was written by David Toohey, who, Preston, who wrote Critters 2. Are you excited about that? Yeah, a lot, a lot of good critters action that we're getting this summer after Oppenheimer too. Right, right. It's crazy. Um, David Tui also wrote The Fugitive. He wrote Terminal Velocity, and then after Waterworld, he wrote and directed The Arrival. He wrote GI Jane, and then he's his baby is the Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, franchise which he wrote and directed pretty much all of those so uh interesting right there and this movie stars a litmus of hollywood actors including kevin costner dennis hopper uh gian triplehorn tina majorino even jack black kim coates in a fantastic uh role and uh jack keller who was the landlord in big lebowski among other people but water world jesus christ i can't wait to talk about this um this was 1995 i was 13 14 years old and this was the biggest movie 
to come out ever at the time. Like this was the biggest budget movie, the biggest action movie. This was the thing. And, you know, th- this type of type of movie was really on my radar. And after seeing it in the theater, I remember it's like, oh, hell yes. Because before this movie, Titanic came out and Titanic made, oh, you know, it was the biggest grossing movie ever basically until avengers or something like that i don't remember um it's it made over a billion dollars and so i guess a couple years after titanic they're like let's go back out on the water and make another billion dollars that was not the case with this movie but i remember seeing this movie in the theater and loving it um and i had no idea why um people hated it so much and then later in life maybe through college or something like that i was like oh it's not that great and then revisiting it again uh this week oh my god this movie's so goddamn good preston preston <laughs> do you remember seeing this movie no when did you five. see it i was <laughs> five when it came out so i didn't see it in theaters i don't think how did you hear about it um <clears throat> kevin costner is a massive a focus point in my childhood home because Kevin Costner is pretty much my dad. Not, not, he's not my real dad, but <laughs> how do we he, know? I guess we don't know. Right. Um, I don't really <laughs> look like him, I guess. Um, he, my dad looks just like Kevin Costner and he laughs like him. So every time we watch it, we have to watch one of his movies because we always go like, that's you, Dad. And it's just, like, really, really sweet. Um, so I I don't I don't remember when I watched this for the first time. I want to say it was on VHS uh, at home, but I don't – I can't really pinpoint it. But, uh, yeah, I've watched it over the years and have come to really enjoy it. And as I've gotten older, I pick up on more things. Good, good, good. Uh, Dan, Tell me, what's your experience first with this film? I think I was 11, maybe 12. Same thing as you, Brian. Uh, I saw it in the theater. Everyone, it was hyped. Everyone was excited for it. Um, I remember going to see it like opening weekend, telling my parents, oh, we need to see Waterworld. And I liked it then for probably dumb reasons because there was water and explosions and guys on jet skis. And over the years and the more times that I've watched it, I've liked it for, I think it's actually smart and I'm sure we'll get into it. I think it it's done well. There's things like Preston said, you pick up on as you get older and it's, it's just a good entertaining movie. Like it's, it's not trying to create a universe. It's not trying to spawn a million sequels. It's, it's, going for broke with what it's got and and it earned every penny of its budget in my opinion because man those sets and everything just look amazing even to this day and that's now it would all be cgi everything that happened in this movie would be on a in a pool a tub with a blue background and they'd make it look like it and this movie just looks fantastic Right, right. So it's it's all practical effects, which is pretty awesome. And so I'm I'm going to ask a question. So the budget of this movie was around 175 million dollars, the biggest budget ever for a movie uh, up until 1995. So and in the movie ended up making 264 million dollars, which is about 100 million dollars more, but it definitely lost money because of the 
the marketing and promos and everything, it ended up losing money and became one of the biggest box office bombs. And it's funny because Kevin Reynolds and Kevin Costner brought on board for like a day or so Steven Spielberg to the set in pre-production and they asked him like can you give us any advice on how shooting on open water and shooting on water and all this and Spielberg doing Jaws he said I only have one piece of advice for you guys do not shoot your movie on open water don't do it jaws was the worst it went over like double the shooting schedule it went double over budget you know it was it was so painfully difficult to shoot jaws my only piece of advice do not shoot it on water well they didn't listen and you know a 70 shoot day turned into a 150 shoot day it doubled its budget tripled its budget on water world uh, there were so many issues with productions. But with that being said, in the way we like it, my question to you both, we'll start with uh, Preston. Why do you think this movie bombed financially and critically? Um, they kind of discussed, so on this Arrow release that came out in 2019, they had this feature-length documentary uh, on it uh, none with any of the actors just a few vintage interviews with actors but they have like kevin reynolds the writers um and, and producers that talk extensively and are very honest about the process of making the film and there, there's just numerous issues that occurred that probably led to some of this i don't know if there's like a single factor i don't remember what the marketing was like, I know they released like one trailer um, <clears throat> that I think did pretty well. Um, and then, but I don't know what more than that. So I'm not entirely in touch with it, but um, there's all kinds of stories that from the press that were really uh, getting out there. And like one of them was something about uh two stunt people dying or something like that. And it just wasn't true. If I remember correctly. So you think it, so you think it, you think it was like bet just bad publicity with it being over budget and just the press Perhaps. just went, um, had a field day. Cause they thought it would be funny to just kill it. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe that just, uh, that wasn't the audience's appetite at the moment. Uh, what else released in 95? I have to look. Uh, Dan, do you do you know why do why do you know why you think do you th think you know why this movie bombed? Uh, do you think it was because dialogue, just the silliness in some parts, or the violence? I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I know this is a podcast, and so you need to talk through it. But I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why in 1995 a movie with explosions on water. And all this sort of stuff did not do well, especially, I mean, this is a big, epic movie. Um, and we knew that people had the appetite for it because, like, the next year you've got Independence Day or, like, Men in Black, like, these big, epic. And I put this kind of a movie on the same level as those. Like, this is a big summer movie. Right, it is. So I'll tell you to answer Preston's question about what else came out in 1995. The top 10 highest grossing films of 1995 were starting with number 10 was Jumanji. Ooh. Number nine was Waterworld. Number eight was Casper. Number seven 
interestingly enough and ironically enough, was the movie Seven with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. Number six was Batman Forever. Number five was Pocahontas. Number four was Goldeneye. Number three was Apollo 13. Number two was the first Toy Story. And number one, the highest grossing movie of 1995, holy shit, Die Hard with a Vengeance. (laughs) So to answer your question, it wasn't because things aren't too dark, considering that Seven and Die Hard with a Vengeance both outgross these movies. And those are hard R movies. Yeah. Right, and so the, the, the best actor, best act, or I mean, best picture of 1995 was Braveheart. Mm. Yeah, that's true. So, so, but not the highest grossing, but those in this water world, what water world was trying to be the biggest blockbuster summer movie, it wasn't. I'll be honest, that makes it even more confusing. Why? Because the audiences obviously had an appetite for R-rated darker things, but this seems much, this is obviously more accessible based on the rating alone for people. And it, I mean, if you watch the trailer for this, it looks like it's going to be pretty dark and action packed. Um, It's not a hard R, but I guess unless you were seeing Pocahontas and Toy Story back then, you just wanted to watch the seven deadly sins or, Bruce Willis wear a racial slur around his neck. Like I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't get what happened. This seems right down the middle. It's it's interesting because the same time Waterworld was released, July twenty eighth of nineteen ninety five, the same day, um, Operation Dumbo dropped, the Walt Disney movie, um, The Net with Sandra Bullock, and Kids, that gr- crazy Larry Clark Harmony Corinne movie, Kids was released, and then the week after Waterworld was babe the the pig movie so i don't know it feels like with all of that (laughs) huh and it's george miller movie oddly enough it is george miller mad max himself um so I'm, i'm really it's it's a it's we have to talk this through because i everything about Waterworld should have should have been a billion dollar movie it really should have correct do you think even though we like this movie today, we we all three love this movie. Do you think it's just maybe the the, the like the sequences and like the feel of the movie, like all the genres mixing, maybe a little bit of comedy, a little bit of action, a little bit of horror. They just didn't go well. I I don't know. Or was the movie too mean? Because you have the child aspect, you have the woman aspect, and then you have Kevin Costner who's supposed to be this hero. And he's just like, he's a straight up gangster. Like he is just fucking with them constantly. He's like a mean, gruff man who's not like fun to watch or be around. But back then there was no, I mean, there was the internet, but there was no blogs. There was no Twitter or social media saying, Kevin Costner is so rude in this movie. You know, the bad review cycle for content-wise just didn't exist, so it can't be that. And I can't imagine the word of mouth that someone would leave this movie, especially the way it ends, and be like, I want out. Don't go see this movie. It's too mean to children and women, or it's not entertaining. This is such an outlier to me because it feels to me like it has every single thing especially even with the release date um, that American audiences would see. And they just rejected it. I even looked at Kevin Costner to see if he was like in the news for anything bad. Like, is there a Tom Cruise situation? It's like, no, people loved Kevin Costner and still do. So I don't, I don't know. 
Well, they did, but one of the big issues, you bring that up, Kevin Costner was a huge diva on set. This was like his baby. That he, Even though he didn't write or direct this movie, he was kind of in charge. He was the Tom Cruise of this era. Like when Tom Cruise does a movie and he's a big part of it, Tom Cruise kind of runs everything. That was Kevin Costner on this movie. And after this movie, he had, he had worked with the director, Kevin Reynolds, before this. They had a falling out for years until Hatfield McCoy's because he was not pleasant to work with. Preston, what do you think about this? Um, I mean, in the documentary, they it's interesting that it starts with like Kevin Costner coming across the script and he was interested in the world that was set up, but he had like conditions to do it he wanted to work with the director that he felt would be capable of pulling this off and so uh kevin reynolds was on the list but um yeah they they had troubles on that film and so yeah post a director win director oscar win for dances with wolves yeah maybe you might have a little bit of that diva attitude and some creativity uh uh, clashes every now and then so i don't know like how he did it got but it seems like they're that it couldn't have been all that bad it, they described it more as like uh two brothers fighting on set it wasn't like so hostile that people were feeling incredibly uncomfortable or at least to to my knowledge but i'm sure it wasn't like the prettiest sight to see when your main actor who's also a producer on this right Right. Yeah, because Kevin Costner does produces his films. So, uh, I mean, I I can understand Kevin Costner wanted to take a little bit of ownership of it. I don't think it's, um, I don't know. My my wife uh, makes fun of Tom Cruise all the time uh, for being that kind of type that just wants to control everything, and she's like is kind of smiling a little bit. The fact that mission impossible, the new one is not doing as great as uh, he wanted. Um, so uh, I don't think she feels the same way about Kevin Costner, but um, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know um, why, why that, why Kevin Costner felt like he wanted to take more ownership of it. Maybe just because it's such an ambitious movie, there's a lot going on. There's, I mean, he's got gills for uh, God's sake. So, uh, well, he's a mutant. They call yeah. him a mutant. He's like an X-Men. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. There, there's just a lot going on in between the lines with this film in terms of like global warming and things like that. And, um, and wh where it ends up going and like the, the process for everything. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get to that because that's my favorite part of the film is that so much of this movie is a process film. It's like him doing the mast and his sails and like how he shoots up and like within seconds and like he he's just a very calculate, his character is a very calculated person. Right. So, I don't know. There's just a lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of big stunts. There's a lot of big sets. And so in the fact that money is becoming an issue and there's so many expectations, I'm, I'm sure they both, uh, both of the Kevins were feeling the pressure. And so, um that that's probably what led to it and i'm sure it just was un unpleasant and I, I i know that they before the movie started they the producers were like put them together in a room to hash out their problems 
And I guess they, they did, but still had ongoing issues in that. But yeah, like I said, with like them doing Hatfield and McCoys uh, a little over 10 years later, couldn't have been all that bad. They still have some respect for each other. And I'm sure it's just like, hey, man, that was just a crazy situation where things got out of hand in terms of budget and just shooting on the water. And it's just like nobody was really doing something on that scale like that. And so... Um, they should have they should have listened to Spielberg and I I really want to ask Spielberg about this movie because you know when they came to him and just like what what advice do you can you give us you're like don't do it <laughs> do it on like a sound stage and they didn't listen I wonder if he saw this movie and just started laughing in the audience like <laughs> yeah this well, is they still had even complications at the end of it when it came to the third act because they had that big rig um yep with the ship and they did not shoot that on water. They, they actually blue screened yep. that sequence, but still they're facing a, f- a few issues there as well. They don't know. It's crazy. Um, so w- with that, with, with what's being said, Dan, again, do you, do you think if this movie was made at any other time other than 1995 let's say this was made in the 80s let's say this was made present day do you think it would have fared better present day no Um, really why it might are we like are we like subbing in like a um avatar for kevin costner (laughs) no if if it came out today if it's practical effects you know similar same actors same vibe do you think that people's like oh man i this is like genius there's no cgi this it it, it's more hardcore than you would think it's the anti-hero i think it would get more i think it might get more respect maybe in like a poor man's uh fury road or max mad max situation where maybe the buzz of the internet and nerds like us would push it over (laughs) <laughs> the budget of what it made back then but i'm just audiences are so weird and cynical these days um that i'm not sure it would i think there would have been all those problematic things you're talking about with kevin costner being rude but that might push more people to see it so yeah i guess 1995 was such a weird year and it didn't do well then it had to have done better somewhere else but i think it probably would have done better maybe a year or two before or maybe if it came out after independence day like before armageddon somewhere in there once the audiences really were just like do you know what we need a giant idea and we don't really care about the quality around it we just need a giant idea and aliens invade asteroid heading towards earth giant lizard stomping in new york the earth is covered by water. You know what I mean? Like they were, we were so as Americans, we were so, and maybe this was just a year or two early of that, but um, I can't, I still, I'm just sitting here. I'm I'm flabbergasted as to why it's not, it wasn't more successful. I think, I think you're onto something with like post independence day, like revamping blockbusters because it was jaws. Like jaws got people into the theaters and, Jurassic Park, like they felt like events. Same thing with going on right now with Barbie and Oppenheimer. It's just like there's there's it like revamped that demand for it and that that people wanted to flock to the theaters and go see something during the summer. And I just don't know. It just found uh, a bad wave, I guess. 
it's uh-huh. it, it it did <laughs> you bastard <laughs> oh, <I got> it. <laughs> um it I, it must have because it, it doesn't make sense to me how why this movie people critically uh bashed it and then it didn't make its i mean it made its budget back but it did not make money whatsoever um in the long run so it's, it's crazy and then the the kevin costner issues but that all that aside i think this movie and let, let i want to talk about the main character um the the mariner kevin costner half fish half man um this character i forgot how amazing this character is because in a lot of movies that we've seen the hero of the movie is the hero. There's like no doubt about it. But in this movie, like uh, Preston was saying earlier, this Mariner character he he is very regimented. He he is he's gone through life on the water alone, um, and he's respectable. He knows what's expected of him. He knows the rules. But he doesn't want to bring anybody aboard. And then you have this child and you have this woman fucking up his day. And he does not take that shit. If they mess up, like he's going to cut their hair off immediately. Like unbelievably (laughs) great sequences that would not happen today. And I love that part about the Mariner and Kevin Costner played it so great. Um, what do you think about this Mariner? Because we don't see these types of characters anymore. Sure, you have anti-heroes here and there, but not like this, I don't think. What do, what do you think about that, Preston? Yeah, he's like the reluctant hero. And yeah, like I was saying earlier with his, like he he very much has established something for himself and he feels completely content with how he's running things. He really wants to be a loner. And so it's kind of like, it's almost a shade of Terminator Two, with with the uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, Terminator character, in that by like once starts hanging out with the with the mother adopted mother and child, like he starts to warm up a little bit. But yeah, he's he's very much like if, don't touch my stuff. If you mess up what I have here, everything I've worked so hard for then yeah, I'm going to get pissed off and cut off your hair and amongst other things, uh, throw you off the ship. That's so good. (laughs) It's so like when he was, he threw the little girl off the ship. He, but it was all like warranted, you know, to me, because the, when the (laughs) GN triple horn comes aboard and she starts just messing with the stuff and messes up his ship. He's like, I'm going to cut your hair off. And then brothers, you know, it, it is it is don't touch but did you put your nuts on my drum set um yeah, yeah. it yeah, is, is the, the greatest scene of that i think what instead of just making him look like a pure asshole who just doesn't have any humor to him whatsoever i think the scene that best illustrates it and makes him a little more likable even though he's doing like these things to them is when he's eating that tomato and he's like eating it on the side of it on the side of the ship and then they're all like slowly crouching forward like wanting to to get some of it and then he eats like he just eats it real quick and then all that's left is like a bit, little bit of juice and seeds and then he just licks it right off the right off his boat <laughs> so yeah that that makes him at least because like, i imagine like 
hanging around a character like that that doesn't have any growth to him by the end would be pretty torturous, I imagine. But at least there's some some shades of um, comedy to him um, through his ignorance and selfishness that I think uh, makes him somewhat likable. And I think by the time he starts bonding with the little girl um, when they're like swimming and he's kind of inviting her a little more into like his process and way of thinking. I think it, it, it becomes like, Hey, this is actually pretty nice. Right. Dan, do you feel the same way you have kids? Do you, do you feel like throwing your kids out of a boat and cutting their hair off if they do color on the walls? Problem is right now, my, my kids can swim better than I can because they're both on like competitive swim teams. So I'm not throwing them off a, off a boat they'll just come back real fast doing any sort of swim stroke like i can't get rid of them eat that easily anymore but yeah i i get i get the frustration and i think what preston said is right there need to be some growth and i think maybe um they started off a little lower <laughs> on the growth meter than you needed to and it started off as off-putting because he could have just been like inconvenienced and not an asshole you know like he could have just been like man, y'all are really getting me off track here. Oh, you're breaking everything. Oh, no, I don't have enough food to feed you. Oh, well, bleh, you know, instead he's just like, I'm going to cut your hair, try to drown you. <laughs> you, know? like, think about you it from his perspective. Yeah, think think about it from his perspective. This home on the water that he built is like the best boat. It's like the Millennium Falcon on the water, basically. The and, palace, if you will. Yeah, and these two people come aboard, and he's like, do not touch anything, and they touch everything, and it's, like, destroying the ship. So he's, I mean, he goes gangster on them. And I, I was, huh? Not to get too inappropriate here, but also, like, is there not a part of him that would have been excited to have a, a woman his age? finally well, on the ship with him for other purposes like well, they, I mean, they bring that up several times in the movie even when he goes that first kind of scene when he goes when he enters that like little village and they offer him a woman and he says no and they're like wait a guy something's wrong with him you know and they like out past him basically. he wants genuine love that's yeah <laughs> that's what makes him somewhat interesting uh i mean he's interesting but like even when uh she totally takes off all her clothes and is like, I'm willing to go there should it, you know, allow us to get where we need to, to go. And then later you find out that it's like, it didn't seem like he really wanted to do it. Like he, like he could, he could sense it in her eyes. And so I think that makes him interesting that, um, yeah, he, if he, if he's going to, get romantic with the woman he wants to feel like he actually loves them or wants to feel like like they genuinely want to be which, with him too which that's agreed like obviously they went dark with him but they didn't make him like a rapist <laughs> right right but, not, but not, like, not like uh what's his face from uh uh the, but, the dude from uh sons of anarchy Yes, but like Pickens, Pickens are just like, you know, Pickens are slim. And she comes on the boat and is like, wait, I can keep this little girl safe. You seem nice enough. You've messed with my stuff. I'm angry at you. But also, how far are we going to be together? Maybe I'll be a little bit polite. You know, you're obviously good looking. And no, he's just like, no, I'm not going to rape you. But also, I might try to drown you. Like, there has to be a middle <laughs> ground, Kevin Costner. What are we doing here? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what it is. It's... 
I, I think there's a there's a line that he he doesn't cross the line, you know, like he could really abuse them, but he's more just kind of like a curmudgeon. He's a curmudgeon old man that who's never really been around people, and it's up to these women to kind of change him in the way. Uh, but I, I think that the Mariner character is so great. Like he's, and he played it perfectly. Like, do you, do you get a sense as the movie goes on his sentimental side, Preston? Yeah. Uh, mainly just because of those scenes with the little girl. Um, Cause he's like, actually, I think that's the first time he smiles in the movie when they're like in the water and, and they're, and then uh, it's shown like the mom smiling. So it's like a very cutesy scene. And then by the end, when it come, like the girl gets kidnapped and he's like, I, I'm here to like save my friend. Like, why do you want to save her? Like, she's my friend. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, that growth is there. And we we um, we we grow uh, to to appreciate him even more. But I find that even through all his difficultness, difficulty uh, getting there, um there, there are little little crumbs of something there that he's constantly compelling. And I really think it's just because of the way that he operates. I think he is just a man that sticks by his own rules and he knows how things go. And if anything uh, interferes with that, he's like, well, fuck you. Um, so <laughs> I think... I think, uh, yeah, I think that's that's interesting to him. It, it makes me curious about his past and where he comes from. And so like, right when the movie ends, I want to know what that, that next movie's like when he may possibly find uh, people, other people like him. Um, Cause he, I mean, they, they do kind of keep him in line with um, like Mad Max that he is somebody who has a past. We don't know too much about it. We get a little more about it in Mad Max, obviously. Um, but he he just I don't know if he's the I don't know if we have to get so like and analyze this so deeply and we're, we're getting into like his psyche a little bit and wondering like does does this where does this all stem from and that's right I, mean. I don't I, I I don't know but uh it, it caused the curiosity is there and I think that causes some investment to be there and um but yeah, I think like what Dan said, like it starts off in such a way where I don't know if it like they saved you. They got you out of the box when you're about to become recycled human sludge, uh, which is very disgusting, by the way, um, that but but that's also part of the interest of the world. Um, and, and I'm sure we're going to get to that when it comes to more of the commentary. But yeah, again, how people operate, how they're living. And, and it's like interesting that. Um, like, for instance, I work at a company that helps other companies recycle. And then <clears throat> but there's all this talk about, like, how we would have to be making grander efforts in our day to day lives to be able to reach a point where we feel like for generations after us that um, they'll be well taken care of. And we don't have to go to other planets for uh alternative resources and things like that or is it going to be like wally where that we're we've used up everything that we have and then that's just what it is and and but i mean the reality is that if the world if the world all the all the ice everywhere melted 
I think they said that only 27, it would go 27 feet above the water level that it is right now. So it wouldn't completely engulf the world, but just that concept is really interesting. And then by the end of it, where the dry land that's left, uh, we can go ahead and assume that most people have seen this film at this point, but it ends up being like Everest is the, the high, you know, the highest point on, on earth. And that is what remains, uh, as dry land. So I think, uh, not to go off on so much of a tangent, but there's just so many things that are interesting about it. And so um, I, I would like to uh, leave it to you, Brian, to, to pick through all that, sift through it and see if there's anything uh, worth discussing. No, there, there is. It's, uh, you know, we, we saw kind of this stuff, you know, in artificial intelligence a few years later, um, you know, with all the, the water coming up and it being kind of like a watery world. Uh, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot to this movie that people didn't take. I mean, it definitely Waterworld leads into the action and like the entertainment value of it. But what you're saying, Preston, uh, there's definitely it's definitely worth discussing. Um, but but all that to say that they were trying, they saved him, and you think that he would be like, "Thank you so so much." But but he did do that. He did say like, you know, tit for tat. Like I'm giving you. Uh, like you gave me a way out, I'm giving you a way out, but I didn't say that I was going to keep giving you ways out. So right, right. He's it, it it, he realized his lot in life. You know, he realized what he is and what he was. He's not destined to be on land and lead. He's destined to be a loner, be out there in the world to kind of almost kind of like a Jedi. Almost, you know, Jedi's yeah. move around, help people <laughs> if they need. He wants to be last Jedi, Luke Skywalker. He does drinking that blue milk, <laughs> but instead of blue milk, yes, yes, yellow piss. <laughs> the glass is half the glass is half full in the Mariners, but half full of piss. So that's 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 his lot in life. <laughs> how, how dune of him, you know? Really, really. Um, so let let's move on from the Mariner, and we have to talk about the Deacon, uh, played gloriously by Dennis Hopper, and so. It, this movie, the Deacon, he's the bad guy of the movie, um, the, the main villain, and the it, it's it's funny because there was only one person to play the Mariner. It was always going to be Kevin Costner, but for the role of the Deacon, uh, that ended up being played by Dennis Hopper. So many people were considered for this movie um to play the deacon and none of them said yes so like samuel jackson turned down the role of deacon and he went to go be in die hard with a vengeance um also i do believe jack nicholson was asked to play the deacon in this movie uh too far away from too far away from lakers games Right, right. I don't know if he would have done well in that, but there were tons of people, big, big, big uh, names that uh, Gene Hackman, James Kahn, Gary Oldman were all asked to play the Deacon before. Gary Oldman probably could have done it. You think so? Yeah, I mean, he's a chameleon actor. I mean, just look at what he does. Uh, Didn't didn't Fifth Element came out in 97? But yeah, he's done characters kind of like that. 
Right. So it's interesting, Gary Oldman, um, there was a GQ magazine interview he did and they asked him about turning down the role of Deacon. And his response was, you know what? I took a coin and just like uh, Harvey Dent flipped a coin and heads was going to be Waterworld, tails was going to be the scarlet letter and he did the scarlet letter because that's what it landed on <laughs> and to me i was like wow that's crazy um and also lawrence fishburne and gary Busey were asked to play the deacon before dennis hopper and so i wonder why so many people turned down this role because do you think the movie would have been different if it wasn't for dennis hopper or if it was somebody else Dennis Hopper was perfect. I mean, he makes he makes the movie go. He really does. His level of insanity and like commitment to just what he does. I mean, you just listed a bunch of Oscar winners, a bunch of people who are incredible. I agree. Gary Oldman could have done it. I could have seen Gary well, Busey. <laughs> Gary Busey could have done like there's plenty of people who could have done it, but he brings such a joy in his craziness. And some of those other people, we may have rooted for them. You know what I mean? Like he had a, he was the perfect level of this is a psychopath who we need to root against, but also enjoy seeing. Right. Uh, and I'm trying to so haggard looking. Like he looks like he, like he is that character. He lived at, like every line that he says and like the, the treatment that he has of everybody that's on his rig, even the guy that's in that oil room. Oh. <laughs> he just like, he's, he's like, he flicks the cigarette. He's like, I'm keeping you on your toes, but I liked deacon's character a lot because he was always forgetting he's like did i say this yeah that's like yeah. you're gonna save me did i did i say that oh well i'm gonna save you and then you know he hands his gun to somebody else and they shoot him and he just does not care i like all the lines that uh so joss whedon did some rewrites for him he, he came up joss whedon yeah. the the guy who we're not supposed to talk about anymore but joss whedon came aboard for six or seven weeks to do rewrites on set for this movie. And when he was asked about this years later, he's like, it was seven weeks of hell. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I can tell the writings his with like, you're like a turd that won't flush. <laughs> he says. My favorite was when it's that whole sequence when Ke uh, Kevin Costner's Mariner character comes aboard his ship and he looks like, He's like part of the part of his crew, and then he takes off what he's wearing, and then he reveals himself as as the Mariner character, and and then uh, of course that's like the the Captain Hook and Peter Pan kind of moment, and then uh, th that's when he's saying all those lines like that. He even says something like, "Oh, that's so sweet." It's like a single tear kind of a moment or something <laughs> like that. I can't remember what it says exactly. It's very that. Josh Whedon-y. Um... But I think it works, though. I think it works. Yeah. Uh, Actually, that's who Kevin Costner based his character on the boat towards the women was. Josh Whedon. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right? Right? It's very true. It, life came full circle. Life found a way, Preston. <laughs> <laughs> is there? Is there any other character? Well, yes, there is. We have to talk about the my favorite character in the movie, um, the guy who played uh, the Kim Coates, um, who yeah, with the rapist wit, the rapist wit. Um, Kim Coates is a fantastic actor. Um, yeah, he plays the like the drifter who's like wants to trade like paper for 
the sex. Um, and he's been in some great, great movies. Uh, he's worked with uh, with Kevin Costner quite a bit, but he was in Pearl Harbor, Black Hawk Down, Open Range. Uh, a, a lot of great things. You would recognize him. But in this movie, his performance is such chef's, like a chef's kiss. He, I don't know how he didn't get nominated for a supporting actor Oscar just for lo- like those eight minutes. Like, t- do y- he's so good, right, in this movie? I mean, he's completely committed to playing this despicable part. Um, so yeah, he's he's good in, in doing that. Um, he get he gets what he deserves. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's interesting. Like the 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 level of manic that he goes to the level of craziness that he has there where he like you wouldn't want to be around that guy at all like there's no trusting that type of person um so yeah it definitely adds to some tension um in the film when they cross paths and they're on a boat because like because even when he gets on the boat he's like kind of running towards them a little bit and he's like dude like you know chill like there's there's a there's a there's a way to this kind of process here of making exchanges and uh yeah he he's just like i I have no patience for this sort of thing i just kind of want to get to it um he reminds me of uh a little bit of like he'd be a character on like con air right yeah very much con air It, it absolutely so with, with that being said, this movie, it's been said in many interviews that this film is very uh, visually and tonally similar to Mad Max. Like, it's basically Mad Max on water. A lot of the side characters and smaller characters are straight out of Mad Max, which some of the funnier moments of the the one guy whose just sole purpose is to do a machine gun and he will not stop unless there's like a magic word it ends up taking out everybody on the sea dudes and on the ship adios cousins yeah adios cousins (laughs) it's so great uh i i love that type of stuff and even like when you said that that old guy who must be blue from old school down in the bottom of the oil pit measuring the oil like that's just that's like the doof basically he lives for right right and like when he gives he gives the best line of the whole movie which is what like the thank you sir (laughs) yeah he's like oh thank god like when he's dying because he's like i've been living like to be a machine to be a zombie just to to keep things moving and then when he finally kicks the bucket he's like thank god oh i love dan are there any like side characters that you remember from this movie that you want to talk about well not for funny purposes but man when they get to the the land (laughs) <laughs> Every, like those people are just like i didn't understand what was going on like when they when they finally arrive and the little girl and and why would kevin costner leave there he's just a man of the ocean yeah that's why he was a man of the ocean and i, and I will say at I, the end, yes. I understand gills and flippers make you cool but like that seemed like such that seemed like what he was searching for I feel like he was just he he was the king of the ocean. Basically, he was the one that had the best boats. He knew how to live and on land. He just doesn't know, you know, and because he, he said like he sailed further than most people and he's never found it before. His, his mistress is the sea. Yeah. 
Pretty much. Think, yeah. yeah that's yeah. what I think it was. That was, like, uh, that was an aside character. I was just like, this seems like a great place. And, and, and he's like, peace. And what do y'all think about the ending? Like, I think in most movies, mo- most movie stereotypical movies, if this were the plot, the movie would have ended as soon as they found land and like you would see them walking on land and the credits would have rolled. But no, you still have another 10 minutes on land of them, you know, figuring it out. And I loved that. I like seeing them on land for like a good little bit. What do you think? I agree. I will say that I wish they, cause there's three different cuts of this movie that are available. There's the theatrical cut. There's the, TV cut that's a little bit long. So on this Arrow video release, yes. there's a theatrical cut that's 135 minutes. Uh-huh. There's the TV cut that's 176 minutes. And then there's the U- Ulysses cut, which is the European TV cut of the film, that's 178 minutes. And only in the Ulysses cut, if I remember correctly, it ends with the shot. of. So when you see... Um, the mother and child looking over the cliff and they're doing the whole like waving goodbye uh, to the Mariner. Um, There's a plaque that's on the, on the mountain when they're at the tallest point where it's saying that it reveals itself as Mount Everest. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think it revealed that it was. No, it did not. It did not. Right. That's just, that was, and I always loved that it had that shot and it was just kind of like this, Whoa, like a uh, plane of the apes kind of thing or something. Um, and so uh, I always appreciated that it had that, but I do like that they, cause it makes, it brings some more depth to the child. Like when they get there, it's like, Oh, like this is what it is now. Like it's, you know, it's all about getting to the green Valley uh like in uh, land before time and then when they get there it's like yeah it's got all these things to it but it's also like there's a sadness to it that's just like uh i was like that it almost seems like as beautiful as this place is there's still there's still sadness to it and that uh the grass may not always be greener on the other side um but i think there's a, a foundation there there's some promise there that where they can live their lives if anything this movie should should have a sequel now where uh, she has a flipper baby because they did have sex. On the yeah. Phone. And so now the flipper baby needs to find out where where, where he, her or his uh, dad is at. <laughs> so I would love to see a sequel to this movie. I don't know about you, but I would love to see a sequel to this movie. What about you guys? Like bring everybody. Tina Majorino is, you know. A mother dad. I don't know. I would like to see this movie again. Yeah, bring it back. I'm hundred percent for a sequel to this movie. That would be amazing. If I mean, Kevin Costner's too busy, you know, trying to exit his Paramount Plus contracts, and I think yeah. he's like, I think he's now doing what a four part western that has been his baby since he was like twenty four years old, and so he's filming part one it's gonna be three hours and he's working on part two which is gonna be three hours he's gonna die filming this western but i'm like get back on the water just give us a 90 minute update on what's going on like yeah i will i will say the that it will i feel like we need to talk a little more about the the stunts and explosions especially the explosions like they're when that when they do that adios cousins thing and kept and uh dennis hopper hops off the ship like that explosion is probably what 
Brian was wanting from Oppenheimer. Like that thing, they, like they, they, they linger on that shot where you. It's huge. There's like a few moments in cinema where the explosions are so grand and big. Like one of them being in the first Speed movie with the plane at the end. Yeah. Like that was a gigantic explosion. But there's like two in Waterworld. It's that one you're talking about in the very end one on the tanker. Yeah. Yeah. Those explosions are insanely great. Don't forget every single jet ski apparently just has like a bunch of C4 and dynamite strapped to it because every time they collide to something, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's totally the jet skis, man. They're awesome when they're like trying to be quiet and they're like in the water. Like, I don't yeah. know if they got themselves down there, but that's such a cool image of them going, all right, go release them. And they just pop up like, they're so good like the the sequences like how it was filmed were some amazing shots that still stick with me you know such as when he's trying when the mariner's trying to get his boat to go over the net and he has to go to the side of the boat you know and he has to get his body angled like it's like flying through the wind like a like a sail that shot is amazing like i love some of these things and how they got some of these stunt people to actually do it in open water and you know jump up ramps and stuff like that i think that was a, still brilliant to this day i mean they they still have the stunt show that is active at universal in uh uh in california i think and they do that whole last stunt with the plane and and everything like it it's pretty pretty amazing to watch it nowadays especially since it, people are wanting more of those practical effects and you can you can you you know what you're you're getting out of it which is something that feels completely tangible and you feel the the stakes of everything and so uh yeah yeah i think those those sequences are really great i, li I like those and I it, should, it, sh it should also be noted that the cinematographer uh dean uh similar did the cinematography for road warrior so yeah there you go same shit damn what, what were you gonna say i i think if you were to just show some of the stunts from this movie and ask anybody who loves movies what decade is this from they would say the 90s in less than four seconds like just the way the explosions were shot the way they were just like Everything about this movie is so perfectly 90s, and it cracks me up that it came out in 1995, right in the middle, right before the real blockbuster with all the CGI stuff, but not too late into it. And I just see this movie, and I'm like, man, those are some great 90s explosions. Everything everything is flammable. Everything has something strapped to it. And you have to remember, they're all on water. The whole time they're on water, there's so much fire in this movie that takes place on a water planet. It's just, I love it. Uh, I love everything about it. I wish that it did better. And I wish we, I honestly wish we get a sequel. And let, let, let's, we have to talk about before we kind of go out on this, we have to yeah. talk about one of the best, funniest fucking scenes. The Mariner, Kevin Costner. And, it, and it's such a brilliant setup scene because when uh the two women are on his boat and they're complaining about how hungry they are he doesn't say shit he just like stay there he uses himself as bait to catch yeah. a monster shark 
<laughs> and then like and how that's edited when you see like the monster shark with like it's almost like vampire like mouth open up and the next scene is like him throwing the meat on the grill <laughs> and it's just it's like perfect like did you i don't i forgot about that sequence and i was like that man this is brilliant this dude this mariner character is the king he's like the atlantis of the ocean and that's why i love him so much and Dan, that's why he went back to the ocean. He's a man of the sea. Dude, yeah, that scene uh, where he does that and the way that it's cut together makes me think of almost heroes when they do the bird. <laughs> he just like, come on, you damn bird. And then just the, the next cut is like egg in a frying pan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. I, I can't top that comparison. <laughs> I was just right there. You just nailed that. <laughs> Um, is there a John Wick reference to this movie? Besides, yeah, if he was there, those smokers would have been done in two seconds. I feel like the Mariner comes in by himself and takes out everybody. He's on his own. Honestly, like John Wick. I, I could that. see the Deacon being someone that John Wick has to go to in like French Polynesia. Like he's just like a, a eye patch. He lives on the water. He's got like his gang. Of, of, of sailboat people and jet ski people and john wick has to go out there and be like i need some gold coins from you or something stupid <laughs> <laughs> the deacon has trained dolphins that fight dogs like i yeah we could totally add him in there if you want to i'm all right all right did you, did you get some like pirates of the caribbean vibes in in the early half especially when he gets caught and he's in that cage because i could i just felt like he was like stop blowing holes in my bloody shit or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there was a little bit of pirates, but it's more Mad Max for sure. Like it's Definitely. Mad Max through and through. But I, I got a little bit of Johnny Depp here and there and like kooky characters coming up to him. The the elevator pitch of this, I mean, we dance around it, but this is just someone came in and was like, Hey, this is Mad Max, but on water. And someone was like, Hell yes, this is genius, and threw money behind it. That's all this was. Yeah. And Spielberg was like, Don't do it. And then they did it. <laughs> I love the fact that Spielberg said, Don't do it. Well, they, they were like, because they they literally brought Spielberg in for a consultant to help them out. And he's like, like, literally the only thing he told them was like, do not do it on open water. Do it on a soundstage. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, what, what are y'all's favorite, like, little moments, like little details? I mean, we talked a little bit about, like, the process of, of Mariner and, like, just the visual of him doing that crank uh it's really awesome just like him doing that um but just like even i think a lot of my favorite moments and that i'm like so invested in what the world is is when he gets to that first that 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 fortress that's in the water and then you see like how people operate and live and like just the fact that they have that recycling human bodies and things and it turns into that stuff like what do they do with that stuff and like tasting dirt and and things like that and and uh we, we even see like the, the the smokers shooting all those bullets and everything but they're collecting all the shells they're making like just like all these little things like that, that are really no it was genius i i love that stuff um i actually loved when he brought uh triple horn down to the surface level in that like little makeshift air bubble and that she got to see everything in the buildings and everything. And I all and I, I seriously love the Mariner character, like all his little nuanced 
things of getting pissed and what he did to these women on the boat at the beginning to stop them from wrecking his ship and then how he grew into liking them. I just, I thought that was so great over the course of the movie because I agreed with them. If I was in that situation, I'd cut some people's hair off too. You know, like it was, <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I also want to bring up uh Nord, that, that character that played by Gerard Murphy, who looks like somebody out of like a Mad Max movie with like yes. hair, long blonde hair. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. Very interesting fella. Go for it. Great. Great thought out world. They put a lot of thought and a lot of work into it and it paid off. It did. It it very well, much did. It for didn't us. pay off because it's a bomb, but <laughs> but not off. anymore though. People like this movie. It it was it was financially and critically. I mean, it's it's sitting in like the fifty percent area, but I think this movie deserves way higher than that. Yeah, I think Roger Ebert gave it like two and a half stars out of four, which isn't so horrible for him. But he says like, yeah, I got some issues with it, but it's watchable. Yeah, it's fun. It's good. Uh, yeah, Waterworld. Seek it out. It's on Arrow Video. It's you can stream it on, I believe, Peacock right now, um, for free if you have Peacock. So check it out, Waterworld. Um, before we end the show on Waterworld, we got to bring up uh, some unfortunate news. Uh, Paul Rubens, the man who created one of the best characters ever in tv and movie history Wee herman passed away at 70 due to cancer and i had no idea that he had cancer did y'all know no he kept it a secret for six years that he had it yeah uh it's very sad um he passed away yesterday and i mean i was a big Wee herman fan i had the doll i had the cherry chair um doll i had I had stickers. I had his DVD set. I watched Pee-wee's Playhouse. I watched all of his movies. I think the first thing I ever saw him in was Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which was um, what's his name's first movie? Tim Burton's first feature film that he did. Uh, I loved Pee-wee. I and I still love Pee-wee to this day. I still quoted it to this day. Um, and then growing up, I only I thought Pee-wee Herman was a real person. That's how well Paul Rubens did this i thought peewee was a real dude um but then later in life you see paul rubens and other characters and he just plays every person greatly um but what he did for children's imaginations and uh creativity is just unparalleled and i'm sad to see him go preston that what what was your your intro to peewee paul rubens i mean it definitely was peewee's playhouse um watch that um but i wasn't like I didn't watch that as as much as probably most people. I knew him mostly from like the side characters that he would pop up in in some like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Matilda. Mystery Men. Yeah, uh, Spleen. Um, in Dunstan checks in. He was like, I just very much remember him saying the way that he said Pongo Pygmaeus uh, always <laughs> stuck with me. But uh, yeah, he, he just had a lot of range. Like he, he could, he was kind of like Gary Oldman in that he would, he could play somebody that, well, I don't know if Gary Oldman's played like this little happy go lucky type of people, but he just had that sort of range to him where I've seen, if you look across his career and everything that he's done, I was like, man, he's really kind of, I mean, he's done like the super happy, like 
going to an insane level of of like where somebody can go to um but then he can like really reel it in with something like Dunstan checks in where he's very serious toned and same thing with like the F as the FBI agent in uh, Matilda or uh, blow and, blow with yeah, Johnny yeah. Depp as Derek for real is yeah. amazing. And he had a lot of great like uh cameo work that he did on like 30 rock and yeah. uh, what we do in the shadows. So yeah. So, <laughs> so good. Dan, what do you think? What's your experience yeah. with Paul Rubens? Uh, I grew up with the movie, which is, just underrated and all the clips going around yesterday just made me realize how funny that big wee's <laughs> sorry peewee's big adventure i almost said big wee's pee adventure mm -hmm. which is i think actually the working title for water world um <laughs> and it was uh yeah the clips going around just remind you how funny that movie was and how unique it was at the time that he was just a just a such a crazy unique character and and uh, honestly, I didn't really see him in much of anything else. I don't really remember him in Dunstan checks in or anything like that. But I do remember that that episode that he's in of 30 Rock being one of the funniest 30 Rock episodes that I can remember. And 30 Rock has so many, but I remember that one and some yeah. of the gags that are in it. So, yeah, just I had no idea. He pulled a uh, Chadwick Boseman, you know, like just didn't yeah. share with anyone that he was sick. And it's or Norm McDonald. Yeah, we're yeah, it's just such a I'm not going to tell anyone that they need to tell their fans what's going on with them that's not who I am you keep your medical stuff private but it's such a bummer to like not appreciate someone until they're gone right yeah it's just yeah. a bummer yeah, it's, it it's like you feel you feel sad because you wanted him to feel the support but you know also he probably didn't want to feel be treated any differently and so it's a, right. a whole complex thing um so but i respect it uh, yes. yeah it's sad and like peewee's big adventure big top peewee and then i'm so happy later in his career that he had a big resurgence where he was doing a national tour of his peewee character on stage and then they got to make another movie for netflix which was great of the peewee character I just I thought that was brilliant. I'm real happy that he did get to do that one last time, and he, he just uh, it was a it was so good. I still quote like anytime I eat breakfast, I have to do the Pee Wee's Big Adventure thing. Like I paid a fool eat Miss T cereal, you know. It just it's so great. Uh, <laughs> I mean that character is like a kid in adult form, and I love how Pee Wee was almost like a Willy Wonka character where he like there's scary moments to him, but also very sweet moments to him that he can turn it on a dime. I don't know. Is it, it was brilliant. And I'm sad to see him go. Um, Didn't he return almost to play his character um, in uh, Batman returns as penguins dad in Gotham? So that's what I heard because he did do that in Batman Returns. Uh, like he didn't have the speaking part, I don't think, but he was there because him and Tim Burton worked together before. So I thought that was brilliant. But I did did he ended up doing that? I don't remember. So, so it says that yeah, he played Elijah Van Dahl, who is the wealthy socialite and the biological father of the crime lord Oswald Cobblepot. Okay, all right, awesome. Awesome. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gotham three episodes. So he did, which is perfect. 
but he did he did so much voice work um he uh he just he was he was great peewee's playhouse uh it's I, now i'm curious since this happened if we're finally going to be getting 4ks of peewee stuff or at least blu-ray because i think only shouts on dvd the shout I, I i could swear that peewee's big adventure is on blu-ray but it's out of print but it's like uh, a, i mean playhouse not d- oh playhouse uh, yeah only dvd yeah. for the whole series i hope they do a blu-ray or 4k because i would definitely buy it because that's a crazy crazy thing but yeah we we miss paul rubens uh peewee check his stuff out but water world check it out it's on peacock for free buy that arrow uh blu-ray 4k copy because there's so much great stuff on it um water world we are fear and loading in cinema podcast uh that is dan moran over there if you see him in austin say hello buy him a beer he's running our fear and loading instagram account which is on fire these days always been on fire i love every time fear and loathing instagram post happens <laughs> it just makes me laugh he's he's on point with he's got the jokes he's got the jokes uh there's press and barta Again, if you see him in Dallas, give him a handshake, give him a hug, tell him that you loved Oppenheimer and Boyhood. <laughs> yes. He, yes, yes. You can find him at the Denton Record Chronicle. You can find him at freshfiction.tv, all of his reviews and interviews on YouTube, Blu-ray Dad at Instagram, and Press and Barta, Twitter, Spaces, or Threads um, TikTok. Find him there. Also, you can find Preston and myself, Brian Kluger at my bloody podcast and you can see our brand new interview with the dead stream director and actor on youtube now uh which is a great interview um and i'm brian kluger highdefdigest.com boomstickcomics.com you can find me on radios on wednesdays from noon till two at electromagnetic radio playing soundtracks find me on all the podcasts including this one my bloody podcast no bs with brian and susan and too legitimate Uh, We love you. We'll see you next week with another movie.